Good morning, church. Well, it must be a holiday weekend because that was the most... Hey, good morning. That's more like it. I, I know you get it from Dave, you get it from Paul, but come on. Just because I'm like the third one up here to say something. It's like, we already did that. Hey, I hope you're having a good Labor Day weekend. This is sort of the time when we get to uh, the year. You know, it's a, it's a national holiday in which we are supposed to say, praise God, we get to work. You know, there's, there's labor that has got done. You know, this is like over 100 years ago they came up with this holiday. And uh, so we're actually supposed to take a break, but what do we do? Well, we all do it. We go labor because we're like, we're supposed to work, get the work done, right? So it is also time-wise, you know, we sort of say goodbye to summer. Hello, school, right? We sort of put aside the uh, the weekends at the, the lake maybe, and we say hello to the fall season and fair. Fair's wrapping up in some places, starting in others. You know, Henry's done, Fulton's starting, and it's like, for all of you involved in fair, it's a great season, right? And yesterday, I was just sitting there thinking, I love this time of the year because I've got a football game on in front of me, a bowl of soup in my hand, and this just feels good, you know, and it's just, I hear all this noise going on. I know the fair's happening, so it's, it's a good time of the year. I hope and pray you have a great weekend. Enjoy the weekend, please. Grab your Bibles, open them up to the book of James, the book of James. We've been uh, looking at the book of James, and well, sort of like the summer, we're coming to the end of the book here. And um, I hope and pray that as we've gone through this, uh, you've been encouraged by what James has to say. I've tried to do this flyover, the scope of what James is. Uh, there are some other Bible studies out there you can go deeper in and learn more about. Uh, I can point you to some books or some people, and you know you can always dig in a little bit deeper if you want. Even today's message, there are some verses that I'm going to hit on, and I'm just going to sort of like, sort of just hit the surface, and you say, I want to know more. And here's the thing. There's a couple of verses in particular you could take a couple of weeks on because there's theologians who sort of like have different views of it and how it can be interpreted. And so it's like, okay, we don't have time so far. I'm just going to like continue my overview of James and, and hope and pray that uh, you're encouraged by it. And especially, you know, you look at what James has been doing. He says, you know, as, as a leader of the church, as a pastor, as a brother of Jesus, he's like, I want you not just to have faith, but I want you to live out your faith. I don't want you to wander off because you've trailed off because you're not living. I want you to live out this faith. That's what a true follower of Jesus Christ is like. So in your Bibles, James chapter 5, verse 13, we continue with this. And James says, listen. Any of you suffering hardships? Pray. Any of you happy in here? Sing songs. Sing praises. And we stop right there because let's just focus on that. Because, you know, the emotions of things and where we go can be all over the place. And he's like directing us right now saying, listen, instead of grumbling and complaining, which he actually talked about in verse 9, instead of being all cranky and cursing, he goes, pray. Pray. Stop whining. Start praying. Are you going to God or are you going to Google? Are you seeking a Savior or are you seeking social media? What do you... Go after God. Pray. Sometimes when you're, you're sick, maybe hurt, other people know it. They begin praying for you before you can even utter, Dear Jesus, you know, they're praying for you. They're good friends. They know what's going on in your life, right? Then there's other times when... 
you're not even sure that you need prayer for a situation that's like for Joan, for instance. She's in a situation now in the hospital in which she's not able to call and say, hey, can you guys pray for me? She can't even do that. But other people know to pray. And I love how this week a small group that she's a part of organized a time of fasting and prayer. Some went to the hospital and actually prayed outside the hospital and others prayed in their homes. And they prayed. But, but in this particular scripture, James is saying, I'm talking to you who know you can pray. I'm, I'm talking to you who's sitting there saying, I can actually seek help. I, you know, but here's the thing. Instead of going to other people, James makes it really simple. You suffering? Pray. Every week I say, go be the church. Part of that whole thought process that started 12 years ago is this. We don't have to have a committee or organization for every single thing that goes on in this church. We don't. Some people are like, well, what group does this? What organization does that? What committee is in charge of this? And it's like, um, we don't do a lot of that because it's really simple. Somebody needs to, you know, somebody's in the hospital, go visit them. Don't we have a visitation committee? Well, we could, and that's okay. Just go be the church. Just go visit them. Go pray with them. Well, I think we need to go share the gospel. Go. We don't need an evangelistic group committee to do that. That's okay if we do. And that brings some organization to it, but go. Go be the church. And that's what James said. Hey, anybody suffering? Pray. That was simple. What's next, right? You sort of feel like that. It's like, well, how come nobody brought me chicken noodle soup and prayed for me? Can you pray? Yeah, then pray. Just, just go ahead and pray. And if you know somebody else that needs prayer, pray for them. He's trying to keep it really simple, right? But he continues on to say this. Anybody in here happy? Sing praises. Go ahead, go for it. Sing praises. I don't know if you've ever experienced something you're so thrilled, so pumped up, so fired up about. It's like, this is so good. I just want to break out in song, you know. It's like, I don't have a microphone, so I'm just going to grab the closest thing. It's a water bottle. It's whatever. And I'm just going to sing and dance. And, and But you're like, but somebody will look at me all goofy, right? I, a few weeks ago, I was running in a 5K. I've not ran a 5K in a couple of years. I've not ran in a year. And it's like, I'm going to run. Uh, it's for uh, glioblastoma, which is what my brother has. And it's like, I'm, I'm running for him. And so as I ran, I, I was like, I'll, I'll stop and walk some. Then I kept running. It's like, well, I'll stop when I get the mile marker too. And I'll just keep, and I kept running. And I was like, I'm going to finish this. And I was listening to music. I was listening to songs on there's nothing impossible with God and miracles happen. I'm thinking, this is a miracle that I'm still running. And I said, all right, God, thank you. And so I literally, at about the two and a half mile mark, I was like, I just wanted to throw my hands up and go, yes. But then I thought, if I do that, somebody probably thinks that I've gone delirious and I'm at the finish line. But I said, like, yeah, I'm at the finish line. They're probably going to look at me and laugh or like, what is that guy doing? He's not even close to finishing. And then so I was like, I'll just keep running, right? And it's like, why not celebrate? Why, when God's doing something, I'm listening to this music, I'm thinking, God is so good. He provides his hand in mercy at times. And he, he shows his love, and it's like, why not sing about it? Why not shout about it? It is so good to do that. Don't keep it in. Go ahead. Let it out. That's why I like this picture up there. Because like, I love it when little kids, they just, they just grab anything, a hairbrush, and they're like, they start singing. It's like, we adults, we get to a certain age, we're like, no, I'm too sophisticated to do that anymore. Or maybe we got to the point where we understood our voices really aren't that good and we shouldn't be doing it. But no, we, but it's okay. Let loose. Let your hair down. If you still got hair, let your hair down and just, just sing to the Lord, right? Sing praises. That's not a knock on any of you that are losing it. Sorry. Okay. 
But when you think about the church, what are we... <laughs> I'm looking at like, uh, no fast. You still got it right here, though. So it's all good. But that's what the character of the church is. We, we don't just pray. We also sing. We come here Sunday morning to do what? To worship. We just got done singing to God. And it felt good, didn't it? To be able to sing those praises to him. Because he deserves all that glory and all that praise. And when you're overflowing with emotion on the inside, what does James say? Hey, you happy right now? <laughs> sing a song. Go for it. Okay, you don't have to break out in all Disney-like, but just go ahead and sing a song if you want, all right? James goes on to say then this, sort of comes back to that whole thing about prayers. Oh, by the way, are any of you sick? Call on the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in, in the name of the Lord. James is saying here in this verse, he goes, listen, you've prayed and you're still hurting, you're still sick. If you want, if you can. Go ahead and enlist others to come in and pray for you. Elders of the church, pastors, leaders, different people, come in and pray for you. And they can even anoint you with oil. And here comes one of those questions that's like, oh, wait, so should we be having prayer meetings and anointing each with oil? Are we supposed to visit hospitals and put oil on them? And some churches do that. Some, some, uh, some Christians do that. And, and that's why we come to this point. It's like, well, is this clear or not? And some theologians are not clear because they said the, the anointing oil here, they're saying this was actually a reference to a medicinal uh, medication, so apply medicine as if possible. Some others were saying when you look at the scripture, it, they're interpreting it as uh, it's an emblem of the Holy Spirit's presence. And so it's like, well, which one is it? And is there something in between? One theologian said here, the use of the word oil in here is different than the word oil used in other parts of the New Testament. And he says, this oil was frequently used as a sort of cure. They used it often in the Middle East and Eastern um, times to just help people get better. And some of you are like, that's why I got essential oils, right? And some of you are like, oh, great. Here comes the oil guy, right? Yeah. Regardless, James is saying, pray. Have others pray with you. Oils, medical help. Seek God, though, in all this. And he goes on to say in verse 15, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. And the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. You look at this verse and you start wondering, is James guaranteeing here that if you pray for somebody who's sick, they will get better? I mean, is that, is that what he's doing here? Some people point and say, that, no, he's referring to ultimately the resurrection at the end when we'll all be healed. And then there's this reference to sins being forgiven sort of adds to the idea that James is, is saying, well, I want you to consider there's a spiritual work in taking place in healing, not necessarily a physical healing that's taking place. Because after all, you think about Jesus multiple times in the New Testament, a man was paralyzed, right? He didn't say, get up, I've made your legs better. What did he say first? Your sins are forgiven. Now pick up your mat and walk. And so the thought is, well, wait a minute. So is this really more of a spiritual healing taking place than a physical healing? Or is it both? Again, as you read through this, where do we go with this? Because it seems to be a lot of thought here, right? And this is where the theologians sort of like this way, that way. Let me share with you briefly what I believe James is trying to help us say here, understand here. I believe... Very simply, we're to pray. We are to pray. Pray for healing. 
Go ahead, pray for healing. Expect God to heal. But then trust God that the matter is in his hands. Clearly, God doesn't grant immediate healing at every prayer of faith. If that was the case, there would be nobody exiting this planet. We'd have people standing on top of people because nobody would ever die because it's like, well, if I pray, you know, it's like superstition. If I do this, this happens, right? His ways are beyond our understanding, are they not? How God works, we don't fully understand. But I know this, we are to pray. Pray in faith that he can heal. The matter is in his hands. And we trust him for the outcome. And we pray with really humble confidence. You know, it's like, this is out of my hands, but God, it's in yours. I believe you can heal this person. I really do. And I make it clear that this is your will, God. And that's how we pray. But let's be honest, there are times when we think, as we maybe stand over the bed of a family member or a friend who their last days, cancer has gotten them to the point now, hospice has been called in. And it's like, do I keep praying that prayer of faith, of healing? Because in the back of my mind, physically, I know this is it. We need to remember, God's big enough to handle his own reputation. Because like, well, maybe I shouldn't pray that because I don't want God's reputation to be ruined. I think he can handle his own reputation, don't you? Yeah. Some believe that if you have unconfessed sin in your life, matter of fact, that's what a lot of Jews believe. You got unconfessed sin in your life, that's probably why you got a headache. That's probably why you got a backache. That's probably why you've been sick a lot because you got some unconfessed sin in your life because your spiritual and your physical were interlinked and they believed it all worked together. And so for a lot of the Jews, they were thought, you know, maybe you got some unconfessed sin in your life. That's why you're sick. We do know this when we are full of anxiety, fear, guilt, we know that those things play a role on our physical health, don't they? Those are all mixed together there. So it is important to understand that spiritually, when we are finding spiritual healing, physical healing can take place. Again, I believe James is, is heading towards this. Well, James says you need to confess this to God. Did you see I put confession in with all this prayer for healing? But it's a confession to God. It's confession that begins with the foundation for the spiritual life that we have as Christians. As a Christian here, it begins first what? Confessing to God that we have been in error, that we have made mistakes, that we are sinners. That's the foundation of we find forgiveness and he shows us grace. He gives us what we do not deserve and that's eternal life. That's new life in him, right? So we have this confession to God, but then he goes, uh, but I also want you to confess one to another, the body of Christ. Essential because here's the thing. Sin demands, and sin will do this. Sin is like, speaks like whispers in your ear like, don't tell anybody else in the church about your sins. <laughs> keep it isolated. Keep it quiet. You know why? Because sin wants to keep its hold on you. Because as soon as we start confessing to God and confessing to one another, we start finding power and victory over sin in our life. So we confess to God and we confess to others as appropriate. Confession basically does this too. It invites others in to help you fight spiritually. Did you know that? When you, when you share this with another brother or sister in Christ, they are now praying with you. You are now getting shielded and armored up because you got others around you praying with you. And doesn't that make sense? I mean, in athletics, 
Don't you go to a teammate? Don't you seek help from a coach when you're weak or when you're missing an assignment? It's like, I, I'm, 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 I've got a blind spot here, coach. Help me out, right? That coach comes alongside, that teammate comes alongside and says, I see where you're weak at. I'm here to help you. Teachers, you sometimes as you're teaching your students, your students are like, I don't fully get it. What do we get? We get a tutor, somebody that comes inside and says, let me help you where you're struggling at, right? Spiritually speaking, that's what our Christian brothers and sisters do. When we're struggling, we can't see that blind side or we're weak in a certain spot. Our Christian brother or sister comes alongside us and says, let me pray with you and help you during this time. That's really what it is. I need somebody to pray with me. So you confess. When you look at this word, when it says confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so you can be healed. The word confess is basically an exclamation. It's out loud. It's, it's saying something out loud. It's actually blurting it out as part of the definition. And I like that part, blurt, right? Because sometimes it's so hard to share because, uh, you know, you got these thoughts going through your mind. I know I need to say something to somebody, but the devil's trying to tell you just, now that's going to be super embarrassing. You tell that to them. Yes, no, it's embarrassing. No, don't they'll think you're weak. They, they, don't don't do that. Right? And you sort of got this battle going on mentally, and perhaps you tried to admit things before to somebody else, and you but you sort of you, you meet up with them, and every time you sort of retreat in silence, like I don't want to say anything to them. I don't want to confess this to them. I don't want them to know about what's going on right now. And you sort of entertain those kind of thoughts. And finally, you know, but you know that friend will pray for you, and you know that friend will hold things in confidence. You know that friend will be there, and, and but you're like, I can't. Then all of a sudden, you just blurt it out, right? That's what that confess means. You just let it out, and all of a sudden, the agony of telling somebody just sort of disappears. It's over. I told him. You feel good. It's like, I needed to get that off my chest, right? But here's the thing. There are some parameters when it comes to confessing to each other. And I want to share those with you because James 5, 16 says, hey, we're to confess our sins, our faults, the errors that we've made in our life. We're supposed to do this, but what does he mean by this? And there's probably should be some parameters, some steps to doing this because we, we need to do this. And nobody's like, you know, like, I really don't want to share my weaknesses with other people. I mean, you know, if I were to look around, and for some of you that are, are athletes, if I go to, like, like, Tucker, Tucker, good job the other night in a football game. Uh, we're going to have game film. We're going to be watching it. I want to point out all the things you didn't do right. And Tucker's like, I don't want to go to the game film anymore. I like participating, but I don't want people to point out to me on film what I did wrong, right? No, what students in here get a paperback from a teacher, and they're like, oh, let me see all the red markings. I want to see all the errors I made. Nobody wants their faults pointed out to them, right? So why would I want to share my faults with anybody else? But that's what confession is. If we keep those secrets, those lies deeply hidden into our mind and our soul, it's like it takes hostage of you. And you cannot live freely for the Lord as we need to live freely. It's like, well, that's not the only reason, Rex. I really don't want to confess my sins to anybody else because the last time I did that, they broke their confidence with me and they shared it with other people. I don't know if I can trust somebody who might betray me. I know that some people have even used this scripture, confess to each other in, in ways that it's like that didn't make sense or it's confusing. I know a church at one point in time, uh, they had a young lady, she had committed this sin in her life and so they had her stand in front of the whole church 
And she confessed to the whole church her sin. Because what she had done, everybody could see. So they had her confess it. And I thought, okay, I see why they're doing that. And that she's going to find maybe some freedom. And I've expressed this confession. And people are going to forgive me. And it feels good. But then I thought about this morning. I was like, but wait a minute. If, we're, if we all did that, though, sin is sin, right? This is going to be like one big AA meeting. I mean, we're just going to go around and one by, hi, I'm Mandy, and I did this. Hi, I'm Heather, and I did this. And we're just going to write down the line, and we're just going to keep going, and everybody's going to confess their sins to one another. I thought, is that what this verse is all about? So we look forward in, in this and say, you know, when somebody comes forward and they seek forgiveness, confess, oh, they just share their struggles. And it's like, that's good. You know why? Because the devil shakes with fear. He doesn't want us to confess our sins. One, to God, which is where it begins. And then two, to somebody else. Because then he knows this, revival is going to break out. If Christians start confessing their sins, the revival is going to take place. Like, really? I was reading uh, some past revivals, North China, uh, Korea. Jonathan Goforth shared, a, he said this, in every time I saw a revival, confession came first and then blessings. And it was amazing. He said this, we may have our theories of the desirability or undesirability of public confession of sin. I've had mine. But I know that when the Spirit of God falls upon guilty souls, there will be confession and no power on earth can stop it. And I read that quote. You know what the first thing that came to my mind when I read that quote? Camp, two years ago. A college student got up in front of 100 plus high school, junior high kids and other college students and our staff and said, I've been struggling with this sin in my life. And they named it. And I said, and they went on to say, I... I just feel defeated and I need to ask for forgiveness and I'm sorry and I'm struggling. I need God's help. And she started to weep. And another camper comes up and just wraps her arm around. Another one confesses and another one's praying. Another one's crying. And then another one, another one. The whole room was basically on their knees and it was like a revival had taken place. Do you see what happens when, when we start to confess to God and confess to one another? It's like, a revival takes place. David Grudick says, but as we confess, let's, let's throw out some, some parameters here to understand how we do this. Because church, I don't know how good we are with confessing. You know, so here's, here's what he's shared. First of all, confession, confession begins with being to God first, okay? Let's draw that foundation out there. Then he says this, then to the one you sinned against. See, a lot of Christians were like, I'll just confess to God and I really don't need to go to that person that I, that I hurt, right? But sin involving another person involves confession of that sin to that person saying, I am sorry that I did this against you. That's part of confession. Confession then, he also said this, should often be public. He says, a lot of Christians... Or A.T. I'm sorry, A.T. Robertson said this. He was in James 5:16. A lot of Christians don't understand the tense of this Greek word. The Greek word here, when it says confess, is implying a public confession of one to others, not one to another. One. You follow me on that one? 
He says, goes on to say this, but it must be done discreetly when it's done in public. So when I come to confess to you in public, I'll do it discreetly, which basically means this. Hey, pray for me. I need victory over my sin. Okay. That's okay. If I want to get really detailed, I probably could. But then there's this verse in Ephesians 5.12. It's up on the screen. It says this. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. So should I not bring up those shameful things in front of people? J.D. Orwin says this. I like how he put it. If you sin secretly, confess secretly. Admitting publicly that you need the victory over, victory that keeps deep, but keep the details to yourself. So church, let's say I'm struggling with something secretly. I want to come to you right now and say, church, pray for me. I'm struggling with a certain sin in my life. I need you to pray for me. He goes on to say this. If you sin openly, confess openly to remove stumbling blocks from those whom you have hindered. So if I've sinned, like I'm out in public and I do something that is, is absolutely wrong, I need to publicly confess to all of you, especially those of you that have seen it, because I do not want to become a stumbling block to you. He goes on to finally say this. If you sin spiritually, prayerlessness, lovelessness, uh, unbelief as well as their offspring, criticism, whatever it be. He goes, then confess to church that you've been a hindrance. Church, I know I've not been loving. I've treated some of you bad. And I'm sorry. I confess to you that I've been a hindrance to you and your faith. I like how J.D. Oren says this. When you're going to confess publicly, this is maybe how you do it. He said, confession should be specific. Hey, if I made mistakes, I'm sorry. Is that really a confession? How many times have you seen on TV where it's a, a public leader, a political leader, somebody who's like, hey, uh, but, you know, I know it took place. Um, yeah, sorry about that. But in my defense, wait a minute. First of all, you didn't name it. Second of all, now it's that but in my defense. Is that really a confession? It costs nothing for any of us to show up at a prayer meeting, show up at church and say, um, Hey, um, I'm not doing what I ought to do. Okay? Anybody can do that. That's okay. And it really doesn't cost me to show up and say, I'm not being a good Christian like I should be like the rest of you. Okay. It doesn't really cost much to say that. But if I come before you and you say, and I say like this, you know, I've been a real troublemaker in this church. And I confess that to you. That just cost me something. If, if I were to come to you and say, hey, I've had bitterness in my heart towards certain people in this church, and I need to definitely apologize, and I'm sorry. That cost me something. Do you see the difference between what? It's easy just to say, eh, I'm not doing things right. But to me, to specifically say what I'm not doing to you, that's confession. Confession must have honest and integrity within it. Real intention and balance. If I say I'm sorry for committing this sin... I need to mean it. I heard a story about an Irishman. He uh, confessed to his priest he had stolen two bags of potatoes. So he went to his priest and said, I need to confess to you I've stolen two bags of potatoes. And the, the priest looked at him and goes, Mike, I've talked to other people and I've heard the rumors. I heard you only took one bag of potato. He goes, yeah, but it was so easy. I was planning on taking another one tomorrow night. And it's like, that confession really isn't a confession then because you're planning to still do it again tomorrow. That's not confession, right? It needs to be honest. Confession also needs to be humbling and necessary. 
humbling and necessary. What do I mean by that? When have we ever wanted to admit our shortcomings or faults to anybody? Nobody wants to do that. There's a lot of pride in us. We don't want people to know where we've fallen short, right? When's the last time you've watched, and again, because I'm a sport nut, when's the last time you watched a basketball game and the guy's guarding another guy and he fouls them and the referee calls the foul and, and, the, and the player's like, you're right, I committed the foul. I hit him, I touched him in a way I should not have touched him. That is my fault. Please put one up there on a foul thing for me. I admit it. We don't see that much, do we? We see, the, me? I wasn't even near him. I know he's bleeding. It wasn't me, right? That's usually the way it works today. It's very humbling and necessary to say, I'm, I'm guilty. I did it, right? Those who hear confession also have a great responsibility. Let's say I've confessed to you this morning something, okay? What's your responsibility now? When somebody confesses, they've confessed to God first, now they're confessing to you, they're admitting something to you. We bear an incredible responsibility now to pray for them, to love them. We hear their confession and we give the right response. Whether we show them more love or we have intercessory prayer, we don't do human wisdom. Well, oh, no, I think you need to do this. Or we don't go around gossiping. Oh, did you hear what so-and-so did? Do you hear what Rex did? Those are the wrong responses. Real deep, genuine confession of sin has been part of the church since the church began. I know we can go back, like I shared with those revivals, but I'll take you back further. The book of Acts, chapter 17, I'm sorry, 19. There was a group of Jews they were traveling from town to town, and they came across uh, people, and they were casting out these evil spirits. And they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus. They were like, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of them. And, and it says, seven sons of Sceva, and the leading priests were doing this. But it says this, one time they tried it, and the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but I don't know you. And the evil spirit attacked these men. And it said they left the house bleeding, bruised, and naked, just scattered, running. The story of what happened spread through the town of Ephesus. Jews, Greeks alike were like amazed at what was going on here. And suddenly a revival took place. It says this in verse 18. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books, burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Wow. See, when, when they con- heard what God was doing, they're like, I'm confessing. They publicly came out and said, I've not been worshiping God. I've been worshiping false gods and I've been doing sorcery. And they burned millions. And they think about back in that day, how many books that had to be to equal millions of dollars worth, Right. And then they burned them all up, and it's like public confession. You guys ever remember some of the older generation? Remember we'd bring out our records and cassettes and albums with the rock music on it, maybe? Maybe you didn't grow up in a Baptist church like me. I remember some of those revivals when the certain music we listened to was considered ungodly. We brought them out, and it's like, burn them. I'm confessing these sins to God. It's like, it was like, people are serious. It's like, I want to get rid of anything that's going to cause me to sin. 
That's what was going on here. And there was a confession to everyone like, I want to change. I want God to get things right in me. Moving on to verse 16 of chapter James chapter 5. So we sort of wrap this up. He says this, the earnest prayer. We've been talking about praying. We've been talking about confessing. He goes this, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful deeds. He's been writing about praying for those who are suffering and for the sick and for the sinning. And then he says, look at the prayer of a, of a righteous person. God answers those prayers. Oh, let me point to Elijah. And he, he points to Elijah in verses 17 and, and 18 and says, look, look at Elijah. James says this often, doesn't he? He's always pointing to a prophet. Somebody knows he's like, remember them? Remember them? Because why? Because a lot of his listeners could relate to that. He says, just like Elijah, so it is with you. The prayer of a righteous man or woman produces things. Are you praying, church? In conclusion of this letter, he sort of writes basically what he's, he sort of wraps it up the way he started his letters in, with, with an intent. He's like, listen, I, I wrote this, this letter for purpose. There's intent as to why I wrote this. Look what he says in verse 19 and 20. He says this, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Listen, he goes like, I'm writing this letter because I want you Christians to live out your faith. Faith works. They go together. Don't wander off. Please don't wander off. That's like what his, his whole book has been about. Stepping on our toes, gut punching, bringing truth to us. Like, why? Because I don't want you to fail spiritually. And then he says, oh, by the way, any of you in here see another brother or sister wandering off, go get them. See, a lot of times people don't intentionally fall away from their faith. They're like, well, I got busy with this activity. And when I stopped going to church, when I stopped praying, I stopped doing my quiet time, and you sort of wander away. And if you see somebody doing that, go get them. Go help them. Let them know they're missed. James is sort of deputizing us as Christians. And he says, whoever brings that sinner back, you're being used by God in an incredible way. You are his tool. You are his vessel. I, I, I sort, of, sort of like this. Because we don't get the glory out of this, by the way. It's like, hey, I brought so-and-so back to church. You haven't been in here in years. Not for you. Okay. To God be the glory. I don't know if you ever had something broken before around your house. You go to fix it. Some people have the best tools. You know what I'm saying? And then they go out. But then you got somebody like me. It's an average guy that fixes things. I watched my dad growing up. He was like MacGyver. Just give him some duct tape and some oil or whatever, gum wrapper, and he's got it fixed, okay? So I sort of worked that way. And I look at my toolbox, and a lot of my tools were some of his. And they're old. I mean, these things are like 50, 60 years old. Some of them broken. It's like, but I got to fix that. So I'll grab an old tool, an old batter tool, and I'll come over and I'll, and I'll try to fix it. And I, and I fix it. And somebody will come in and say, and they'll look at it and say, Wow, good job on fixing that. How'd you do it? Did you get a new tool? Did you, you know, go to so-and-so? No, I show them an old rusty battered tunic. You fixed it with that? Excellent job, Rex. They're not like, wow, awesome tool. No, they're looking there saying, way to go, the guy who fixed it, right? That doesn't happen often, by the way. You can tell I just made that story up, okay? But 
if that were a true story, okay, isn't that the way it works, though? We look at the person who had the tool in their hand, and we praise who? The tool or the person who put it, the person who put it together, because they're the professional. God is the professional. We are just a tool in his hand, and he uses us to bring others back. And God gets the glory, not us. And that's what James is saying is, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. They have come back. Worship team, would you come up, please? Whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save the person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. And I believe he sort of concludes this with saying, listen, let's confront those that are wandering in their faith. Because that's what James has been all about, striving to save their souls from death. Not demanding that they stand in front of everybody and confess their sins, but, but that they get it right with God and we help them. You know, it's, it's good to have a friend to talk to, right? Some of us, I've got thousands of friends. Okay, not Facebook, okay? Good friends. A friend that you can share and confide in, you know? Like maybe I can with my wife. And that's good to have that. But God says, I want you to confide in me. I want you to pray to me. I want you to come to me in prayer. And when you go back to the scripture where James started, I want to go back to chapter 5, verse 13, when he said we're supposed to pray. That word pray, by the way, means a coming to close intimacy and proximity. It's not sitting at a long table with 20 feet in between you and I. It's sitting down at a table with somebody. The table is so close, you can see into their eyes and you can have that conversation. That's what this word prayer means. To come into close proximity, to draw near to God, to get close to Him and say, God, I've been suffering. God, I've got great joy in my life. God, I need to confess. God, I've got a brother or sister who's wandering. This has all been about prayer these last few verses. And James takes us all over the place from suffering to joyful moments to confessing to helping others find that relationship with him. And I love how he says this. Like if anybody of you, any, anybody here going through extreme difficulty in your life, a lot of grief, I urge you, draw near to God. Pour out your heart in prayer. Be willing to give up anything and do anything that God requires for this situation to be changed. See, there's a time when we need to confide in others that are close to us. But God says, come to me first. I don't do this often enough. And I apologize for this. And maybe I just think, well, it goes without saying. But I'm going to say it anyway. If there's ever a moment in this church service, at the end of the church, when we go to do our last song, and on any Sunday morning we're like, it's time for our final song, and you're like, I just, I, I need to, I need to pray. And I need to pray somewhere besides where I'm standing. And you want to come up here and, and, and kneel or stand, and we'll pray with you if you want to pray by yourself, or if you feel like you just need to go over somewhere else and pray with somebody else, go, do it. Go pray with them. Come up here and pray. You want to pray, we'll pray with you. I know I don't give the invitation, but the invitation is always there. And I know I don't always give the invitation for you to surrender your life to Christ either. We try to share the gospel often because that's what it's all about. You need to know there's a God who loves you and sin separates us from him. But Jesus Christ came on that cross to remove that separation. 
And when we place our faith and we pray to him, he removes our sins and he draws us close to God. And we have a relationship with him. And if you've never prayed and asked for forgiveness of sins, you are always welcome to come up here and I'll pray with you. Whether it's the forgiveness of sins or whether it's the pray for help, the invitation is always here. Always here. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the book of James. I thank you for the truth. I thank you for his passion to see us not just have faith, but to live out our faith. And God, I thank you for these final verses of his letter that remind us that we are to pray to you. When it all comes down to it, it's that intimate relationship with you. We come to you in suffering. We come to you in joy. We come to you in confession. And we come to you bringing those that are hurting as well. It's all about our intimacy with you. And God, if there's anybody in this room right now it's like, I need to get some things off my chest, off my mind, I've held it in, then God, I, I pray that right now they'll confess it. If they want to confess where they're standing, they can confess where they're standing. If they want to go over and talk to another person and pray, they can do that. If they want to come up front, they can pray. But God, help us to make sure we don't hold it in any longer. Lord, I pray that we confess. I pray for revival in our church, in America. Lord, I pray that that we are different because your spirit's at work in us. Forgive us, Lord, when we have held back your spirit from doing anything because we might be embarrassed by what we've done. But you already know what we've done. So we might as well get it right with you and get it right with each other. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you that we can have these moments where we just really look deep into our hearts confess it all to you. We love you, God. Thank you for hearing our prayers. In thy name we pray. Amen.